we miss being with you. And I know that Ray Sanabria did a great job in Matthew 5, 9 with uh, speaking about peacemakers. And as God would have it, that fits direct, right perfectly in with where we've been in James 3 and, and where we are in, in James 4 today. And, and, and we saw two weeks ago, we looked at worldly uh, wisdom and godly wisdom. And, and we looked at its fruit and we looked at its source and we looked at its effects and we, we compared the two. And today is a continuation of that same thought. J- James 4 is, is not a new thought. Our, our, chapter, our chapter breaks in here sometimes can, can throw us off and, and, and break up the book. And James is writing, he's flowing. And, and what we see in James 4 is flowing directly out of what we saw in James 3, 13 through 18 there. He's talking about fights and quarrels among us here. And these flow out of our wisdom, earthly wisdom, or godly wisdom. And, and today I just want to look really at, at one verse, and it's really verse 1, and here's why. What, what we're looking at here in verse 1, what we'll see in verse 1, and what we'll talk about today is probably one of the most dangerous, one of the most uh, fearful uh, things that face not only this church, but your individual families, your relationships with one another. Your relationships with your children, your relationships with your friends, your co-workers. Again, these relationships here within this church, the most dangerous thing facing us is, is a lack of unity. One of Satan's major, one of his main schemes in any church, in any family, but especially in a church, is to destroy unity. If he can get us fighting amongst ourselves, if he can get us disagreeing amongst ourselves, if he can get us focused on ourselves instead of focusing on the Lord and the mission before us, well, in many ways, he's won the battle. Unity is a big deal. And I hope to show us here why unity is such a big deal. Hopefully, I want to go a step further and to show us ultimately how it is the gospel of Jesus Christ by which we're saved that specifically invades this arena of fights and quarrels among us and moves us, as we focus on the gospel, it moves us in a spirit of humility. It moves us in a spirit of unity, where relationships are growing, where relationships are thriving. Again, all because of the gospel. All because of the gospel. All because of what God, what Christ has done for us in the gospel and giving of Himself. You know, how the gospel, what I want us to see today is, is how the gospel ultimately crucifies these selfish desires, these selfish wants, really self as a whole, to eliminate the need, to eliminate really the source as well of these fights and these quarrels. And how when we focus on the gospel, it not only distinguishes and extinguishes um, the fights and the quarrels, but it fuels and replaces it with sacrificial mercy. Why? Because that's what we've been shown. In the gospel, we've been given sacrificial mercy. Therefore, go and show sacrificial mercy. In the gospel, we've been given forgiveness. Therefore, go and forgive. In the gospel, Jesus came and did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many, Matthew twenty twenty eight says. The response would be, go and do likewise. Everything we see here, everything we, we look at, it's fueled 
in the gospel. And ultimately, it boils down to this. Jesus alone satisfies. As we sang this morning, the theme in all those songs was the satis- our satisfaction in Jesus Christ, that He is to be our satisfaction. And until we're content with who Jesus Christ is, until we're content with what He has done for us, what He has done on our behalf in the gospel, what He has promised to provide, what, what all that He's promised, we'll fight and we'll quarrel. Why? Because we think it's up to us. And we become the center of our lives rather than the gospel being the center of our lives. And we will seek to gratify the flesh rather than crucify the flesh. And I hope to make that clear today. So we look at, as we look at, 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 at verse 1 of James 4 and the, the first sentence on your, on your handout. Again, I know some of y'all like to guess about what these blanks are. This one ought to be a real easy one. If you just quote verse 1, you've got the first fill-in. You, I mean, this is the easy one. This is a no-brainer. I mean, just, just bet the whole bank, not that we bet, that you're going to get this one right. James is telling us in verse 1, the source of quarrels and conflicts, the source. And again, chapter, there, there's a chapter break here in our, in our Bibles, but what we see here flows directly out of chapter 3, where worldly and godly wisdom were contrasted. James is intimately aware that what they were experiencing on the outside was symptomatic of something that was deeper. Their outward experiences, their quarrels, their fights, all that they were dealing with outwardly was symptomatic of something bigger that was going on inwardly. James is saying what, what you think is the problem isn't really the problem. And James, James is getting right to the heart of the issue here. The true source of their quarrels and their troubles. And James holds no punches. He throws the table, I mean, he throws the question right out there. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? you we saw earlier that, that they were facing trials and they were facing temptations and, and they were blaming God. And, and here they're blaming others. They're, they're blaming all these other things. And as I thought about that, James is asking his readers, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Well, well, I would ask you the same question. When you look at your life, if we asked you that, when you read that, hey, what is the source of quarrels and fights among you? If you, how would you honestly answer that question right where you're sitting? How would you answer that? Maybe you would answer it with somebody's name. Whose name? Maybe you'd say, hey, that's the, that person is the source of the quarrels and fights among, among me. Maybe you would answer that question with a circumstance. Hey, that circumstance right there, that's the source of the quarrels and the conflict. It's that circumstance. Maybe you would answer it with something is lacking. Hey, that thing that's lacking right there, that right there, if I just had that, I'd have no more reason to fight and quarrel. How how would you answer it? See, the challenge is what James is getting at is he saying those, those are three examples of how the world of how world and worldly wisdom answers that question. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? The world goes to people, the world goes to circumstances, the world goes to things that are lacking. And they fill in the question there. Notice James does not name anyone specific. He doesn't name any circumstance specific. He doesn't speak to anything lacking. Why? Because those aren't the issues. That's not the real issue. 
It's not people. It's not circumstances. And it's not lacking. Were there people involved? Absolutely there were people involved. Were there circumstances involved? Absolutely. Were he speaking to a group of Christians that had been dispersed abroad that are all over? Certainly there were circumstances involved. Were they lacking? They probably had some needs. Certainly had some needs. But what James is saying is that's not the issue. And what James says is that the source of the quarrels was inside of them personally. The true source of the quarrel was inside of them, not outside of them. The true source of the conflict was inside of them, not outside of them. See, the outside issues were simply revealing stuff that was going on in the inside. James says, the, is it not the source, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? He says, what are these problems among you? That, that, word, that word among you in verse 1, literally in the Greek, is rendered in you. In you. What's the source of the quarrels in you? He says, the, they're, they're the pleasures, they're your wants, they're your desires that wage war in your members. That is what is bothering James and what is worrying James, not the rightness or the wrongness of the viewpoints surrounding their action. It's why they're doing what they're doing. You, you, ever, you ever get sidetracked from, from the real issue? When, when you're dealing with something, you ever get sidetracked so, way the, so that the real issue isn't really the real issue? It becomes a point now where you just want to be right. You just want to be right. Like, I don't even, what are we even arguing about? No, no, I know what we're arguing about. I want to be right. I, I, I battle with that. Sometimes the issue, like, we've moved on past the issue. Now it's just a matter of, I'm going to prove at all costs that I'm right. And I know I'm right. And I want to be right. As, as I studied this, you know, if you're in my family, there'd be way too many examples. And God revealed just things in my own life as I, as I study this and as I, as I, I pray through this in my own life. I, I'm not immune, hear me, I'm not immune to the fight that we're going to talk about today. We sat down the other night in the evenings before our kids go to bed. We, we have a routine. We're not perfect at it, but generally we have a routine. We go into Bradley's room. We pile up in the bed. And we read the Bible together. Bradley has a, 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 a Bible that's, that's oriented to children and, and is broken up into different uh, stories and main themes. And we'll read it and then we'll discuss it. Well, I go in like the good dad and the good pastor you expect me to be. I go in to read the Bible that night and Bradley and Sarah Grace are on the floor playing with Legos. And their Legos are everywhere on the floor and they're playing with them and so I sit down, I'm like, okay, guys, as I say, let's, let's get up here to read the Bible. Sarah Grace asked for a Lego. Now, get, granted, there's about a billion Legos on the floor. And about 900 of those, million of those, billion, are gray. And she asked for that gray Lego. And as she reaches for the gray Lego, well, guess which Lego Bradley decides all of a sudden that he wants? That one gray Lego out of the 900 million she just happened to reach at that moment for the one that he wanted. Not, not coincidental. Okay, at that point, if you have children, you know how the rest of this story went. You, you know what went down. I mean, he sees where she... I mean, it's arguing 
fighting. I mean, it's DEFCON 4 stuff over a gray Lego. I'm like, Houston, there's a problem. Karen, come get your kids. This is clearly the Amorati gene is coming out in these kids. I don't, I don't even recognize this stuff. I don't even know who these kids are. I'm a pastor. Like, clearly, my genes didn't get, something happened. I'm a pastor. But here, here, here's what happened. Here's what happened. I, I'm not even, I, I find that my, I'm, I'm thinking my self-righteousness starts to kick in. I'm sitting here trying to be a good dad, trying to be a good pastor, read the Bible. And now I'm mad. Why? It, it, and I realized it had nothing to do with their fighting. And the fighting was annoying, the arguing. I mean, they're kids, they're, they're immature, they're, they're small representations of who we are as adults. We just mask it a little better, but we still do the same things. I, I realized that a portion of my frustration and my anger was this, that my plans and my desires and what I expected to happen in that room that night had been thwarted. See, it had nothing to do with the Legos. It had nothing to do that my kids were acting like just wild Indians. It was all about me. Real quickly, the issue became all about my righteousness and my selfishness and my self-righteousness. And I had expectations of what a a good father does. And and I'm thinking, you guys have expectations of what a good pastor does. And and I want to be a good pastor and... The, the pastor that people expect, and all these thoughts are running through my head, and that's when I, when I stepped back and realized, why am I upset? It wasn't the issue. It wasn't the external things. All that did was reveal to me stuff that's going on on the inside of me. All that external did was, real, was real, make me realize that I had stuff going on inside of me that was waging war within me. And my plans and my desires and, and, and who knows what was on the TV that I'm in my mind I'm thinking about getting back to or I've got to do this or I've got to do this. You know what you're doing? You're making this go a whole lot longer than it should have. And now I'm mad. My self-righteousness had been interrupted. I mean, I'm thinking, I'm the pastor and I can't even get my kids to read the Bible. I can't get them to sit still long enough to read the Bible. And then so at that point, I'm done. I'm like, you get in your bed, you get in your bed, we're done. I, I start to walk out and Bradley says, Dad, you're not going to read the Bible? I'm like, read the Bible? Were you not privy to just went on here? I mean, were you not privy to just what went down here? Read the Bible? I need to go somewhere quiet and read the Bible myself, not to y'all. And, and I mean, again, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Read the Bible? And I'm certain if you have kids, I see y'all smiling. Some of y'all are trying not to smile, acting all self-righteous like y'all don't know what went down. Like, that's the most foreign thought I've ever heard. I've never seen kids act like that. Y'all are lying. <laughs> and, and again, what went on that night in my house? It'd be great if that was the first time that that had ever happened. But that's a picture of not only what James is dealing with here, but what he says in Galatians 5. Look, look. What James is getting at is what Paul tells us in more detail in James 5, verses uh, 16 and following. L- listen to this in Galatians 5, verses 16 and following. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. 
For the flesh, listen to this, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Listen to this, when you're acting fleshly, you want to know if you're acting in the flesh, here's what you get. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and the things like this of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, but the fruit of the Spirit, in contrast to the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. What Paul is saying is you don't have to live according to the flesh. But every single person in here, there's a battle. Every single person here that's saved, that has the Spirit of God living in them as a saved believer, there's a battle going on inside of you at every moment of every day, and it's your old self, which is, which is what Paul calls the flesh, and it is your new self, which, which is the Spirit of God living in you, and they are in constant war and enmity against one another. At the moment of salvation, God took up residence in you in the person of the Holy Spirit, and, his, and, and we feed that Spirit, and its job is to continually crucify the deeds of the flesh and to crucify my fleshful desires. The question is this, who will win? Will flesh rule out, or will the Spirit win out? That, that's the question, and the answer is this, whichever one we feed more, is going to be the one that we act on. You feed the Spirit with the Word of God, that, that's why we're constantly in here talking about godly wisdom and, and the Word of God richly dwelling in you, Colossians 3.16, Ephesians 5.18, that, that you would be filled with the Spirit. Why? Because when you get poured out, if you, whatever you're filled with is what comes out. When you're jostled, when we're shaken, whatever is in the bucket comes out when we're jostled and shaken. When we're filled with the Spirit in the sense of we obviously, there's a challenge as a Christian. We're filled with the Spirit, but then practically are we yielding to that Spirit in us? And James is saying the issue is the, wo is the war that wages inside of us. Look, not for, listen, if you, if you looked at most of the things that you fight about, if we're honest, most of them are selfish things. Most of them have everything to do with the flesh. Most of them have everything with to do with you being at the center. Not, not some noble war for truth. Not, not from some evil environment or factor that's pressing in against you or your family. It's coming from inside of us. It's coming from self. Most of our arguments and most of our fights with each other are not in defense of some grand biblical truth. They're not in defense of, of some, somebody who's in poverty or the widow or the orphan or, or people invading against or, or transgressing against God's word. It's self. It's, it's our pleasures have been infringed upon. Our pleasures have been trans, tr trespassed against. And it's on at that point. 
Our self-righteousness has been offended, and it's on. Paul says, I mean, James says, it's not, is, it not the, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? That word pleasures is the same word, is the, is the Greek word that we get the word hedonism from. Hedonism. It, it's the pleasure of self. It's, it's the worship of self. And self is constantly at con and conflict with God's spirit. The word, the, it's interesting, that says wage war. That word, some of your, some of your Bible translations may say battle. That, that Greek word literally means this, a military campaign aimed at securing the satisfaction of their cravings. This is war. All-out war inside of every single one of us is flesh and self. Look with me at 1 Peter 2.11. Peter says it very clearly. Knowing that war, look what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and as strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So that in the thing in which the slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Our self-seeking, our self-satisfying, our self-gratifying, our self-centered flesh stands in conflict with the spirit that yearns for God's character to show out in our life, not our old character. That yearns for the character of our Heavenly Father who has adopted us to be shown rather than our flesh and our old nature to be shown. And again, that's why, that's why you hear me all the time. Let the Word of God richly dwell within you, to be involved in small groups and prayer and getting this Word richly inside of you. Why? Because that, then that Word, this Word begins to control you. And when we're shaken and when, we're, when, we're, when we have these conflicts arise, what we get is the Word, not the flesh. And that's where James is bringing us here to the, to the crux of the matter. And, and, and really, James brings us here in, in verse 1 to life's ultimate choice. Here, here's life's ultimate choice that all of us face. We must decide in this life, are we going to seek to please ourselves, Or are we going to seek to please God? Bottom line, that's what it's going to boil down to. Am I going to live for self? Or am I going to live for God? Am I going to, am I going to make this all about me? Or I'm going to, as 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether I eat, drink, or whatever I do, I'm going to do it to the glory of God. Am I going to live according to godly wisdom that says deny self, crucify self, and even enables me to do that? Or am I going to live to worldly wisdom that says get all you can, can on you get, and just spoil the rest. Just get it all about you. Live it up. And really, this battle goes all the way back to Satan when he himself refused to submit to God. Ever since then, God, God cast him out. And ever since then, Satan has been trying to get others to rebel. And, and Satan, Satan shares various lies. You can take it all the way back to the Genesis 3 with the Garden of Eden. Satan, through various ways, will try to get you and I to fall prey into doubting what God has said and to living for self. To believe that everything is about self. See, Satan was not content being with God or being like God. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be the ruler. He, he was not okay submitting himself. 
And, and Satan will seek to convince us, to deceive us into thinking that God is not for us in the sense that he has our best interest in mind. That's what Satan wants us to do. To not believe that being last truly is being first. To not believe that being least in the kingdom truly is being greatest in the kingdom. To not believe that self-denial and living for God and in turn living for others is truly the way to satisfaction and fulfillment versus the empty lies of this world that says live for yourself and at the end of the day you're by yourself and you're miserable. It's a lie. And Satan is constantly distorting the truth and distorting God's word exactly what he did in the Garden of Eden. It doesn't ma- Satan will say it doesn't matter what the Bible says. It doesn't matter how this affects other people. It, or even if this affects God and his testimonies, do it. But you saw in 1 Peter 2.11, everything we to do is to keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so they'll glorify God. It had nothing to do with us. And, and worldly wisdom and the flesh have no room for these biblical truths if they don't serve us. As long as it serves us. There's no room for sacrifice and no room for suffering. No room for difficult relationships that tax us and cost us that simply don't serve us. We don't have room for that. No no room for long suffering. No room for sacrificial mercy. That's worldly wisdom. And at the end of the day, worldly wisdom has room for one person and it's self. Self. All of it boils down to getting you to ultimately gratify and and serve self. And listen to me, what James is saying is, think about just in a small church of this size, group of people this size, couple hundred people. If every single one of us serve ourselves, think about the chaos that would reign supreme in this building right here. Drill that down in your home, where maybe there's four, six of you. If you're the Hudsons, there's there's eight of you. Think about the chaos in there if every single one of those people live for themselves. But think about the unity if every single one of those people live for the same mission. If every single one of those people have it as their ambition to deny self and live for the glory of God. And all of them do that. That's what James is getting at here. You're all going in your own directions and guess what you're getting is chaos and it leads to bitterness and selfishness and fights and jealousy. Why? Because you begin to become the enemy to my happiness. And when you are seen as an enemy to my happiness, guess what I got to do with you? I got to get rid of you. Because it's all me. Versus all of, all of us together have one goal of glorifying God. Now there's a lot of things about that mission that I can't do on my own and now you're an ally. Now we're family. Now we're friends. Again, it's like my body. My body needs every single other part of my body in order to function as a body, does it not? It does. Now, again, there are some things, like I had my appendix removed. Evidently, we don't need appendix. Why they were there, you get the picture. You get the main story. We need each other. Simple task of painting painting the cafeteria at Hammond Elementary, I can't do that myself. But if we all set aside time, look, we as a church are here to to serve, to glorify God. And it's not on our agenda. It's as needs arise. Rarely ever do needs that God really wants me to meet and serve, rarely ever are they on a time scale on my calendar. They just pop up. 
But will we steward our lives in order to meet needs or will we steward our lives around ourselves and just leave crumbs for everybody else? That's what James is getting at. We, we, we have an entire Bible that shows that worldly wisdom and godly wisdom, flesh and spirit, waging war. We saw that in 1 Corinthians. That, that's why we're called all throughout in Galatians 5 to take care of our liberties. Galatians 5, 16, 13 and following, he says, you've been set free, but don't use your freedoms to glorify your flesh. Don't use your freedoms for self. Because why? Because that's our tendency. And God meets, listen, it, it, Christ bore, where am I on my notes? I lost myself. Um, in contrast to that false wisdom, in contrast to the false wisdom of the world is the true wisdom of God. And godly wisdom does this. It embraces God for who He truly is, and it puts Him at the center of our lives. In, 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 in opposition, in, 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 in contrast to worldly wisdom that puts self on the throne of our lives, godly wisdom puts God on the throne of our lives. The sovereign, the gracious, the loving Father, the sacrificially merciful giver that He is, godly wisdom puts that King on the, on the throne of our lives. And that is why throughout the Bible we see commands to crucify self, to deny self, to die to self, to humble self. At all points of our lives, self desires to be king. Self desires to be the center of everything. Again, Matthew 20, 28, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. Imagine the impact that we would have on the world, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities, if, if that was our mission. If we entered those places with the attitude of this, I'm not here to be served, I'm here to serve. I'm not here to be made much of, I'm here to make much of the King that has made much of me through His Son, Jesus Christ. Imagine what would happen. And, and what God desires for, for me in His wisdom is to surrender, to surrender to His kingship, to His lordship of all things, and ultimately in Him to find my delight. That's why Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord. It's the memory verse for this week. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you desires of your heart. At the end of the day, desires follow delight. If we delight in self, guess what all our desires are going to be surrounding around? Self. We delight in God, guess where our desires are going to follow? They're going to want to be to glorify God. And, and what James is showing here in chapter 3 and in chapter 4 is that worldly wisdom leads to disunity because each of us become the focus. That's disunity. We can't all be the focus. In any organization, in your homes, in your workplaces, somebody, everything has got to focus around a plan. You've got to have one plan and you've all got to work for it. If, we're all, if, if, self, if all of us are living for self is disunity and yet godly wisdom leads to peace. Why? Because we're all focused on the same thing, namely Jesus Christ. And we're focused on Him together. And the way, to, the way to life is to deny self. Otherwise, we see fights and quarrels among us. So the question becomes, is how do we do this? How do we how do, we do this? Do, do we just bare knuckle this thing? Do we just pull up our bootstraps like my grandfather used to say? He, say, he used to say, just buck up, little camper, and get it done. Is that, is that it? Do we just have to grit our teeth? And No, here, here's where the gospel comes in. 
I'm reading a book right now on, on how to preach better and, and, and just on preaching. And it was a good reminder. Every text you've got to take back to Christ. Every text. Look, turn in your Bibles with me. You say, how do we do this? Here, here's how. And here's where the gospel comes into play. Turn with me in your Bibles to Titus 2, please. Titus 2, just flip back over to the left. About three or four books. Right after First and Second Timothy, you have Titus right before Philemon and Hebrews. L- listen to Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Notice there in verse 11, what does Paul say instructs us to deny ungodliness and world desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age? What is it? It's God's grace. It's God's grace. You know what we look to? You know what you and I look to? To, to be fueled, to be reminded, to be instructed on how to live sensibly, righteously in an ungodly world, we look to the cross. Because that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. We look to the cross and we, we, we see His attitudes, we see His actions, we, we, it's, we see His sacrificial mercy on our behalf in giving up God's Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for our sins, exchanging our sins for righteousness. We look to the cross and we're reminded that Christ bore our sin and its penalty. That He bore God's wrath and in exchange He has declared believers in Jesus Christ to be righteous. You look to the cross and you see the point that where sin abounded, Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. Even here in the text, James points to that. He says, but, where, but He will give greater grace. You see that God meets our sin with mercy if we're in Christ, if we believe in Christ, sacrificial mercy, all at His cost and our benefit. When we reflect on that grace, when we dwell on that grace, when we memorize that grace, when we fix our eyes on that grace, as Hebrews 12, 1 says, it empowers us to do the same. It fuels us to do the same, to live out Christianity is living out what we have received in Christ daily in our lives toward others. It's giving sacrificial mercy. Why? Because we receive sacrificial mercy. It's giving forgiveness. Why? Because we've been forgiven more than we could have ever earned. It's forgiving other people's debts. Why? Because my debt was forgiven and paid in Christ. It's seeking to serve. Why? Because Jesus Christ, who could have demanded service, He served me. He humbled Himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and served me. Christianity is living out who we have been declared to be, the character of our Father. And in the gospel, God has declared me righteous. The results are this. I don't have to seek my own righteousness. I don't have to, be, I don't have to always be right. I don't always have to be the, the first. I don't always have to be made much of. 
Why? Because Christ has done that for me. I don't have to prove anything. Because Christ has loved me regardless of my inability to prove that I'm right all the time. In, 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 in the face of my great sin, Christ still loves me. I don't have to be king on my own. Why? Because God, through His grace at the gospel, has declared me to be co-heirs with Christ. That reminds me, therefore, that I can give everything away. Why? Because I have everything I'll ever need. I have a Father who has promised to provide for me, to love me, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, to never leave me nor forsake me. Therefore, I can go out and take great risks. I can live by faith. Why? Because of the grace that I've received. The gospel and God's grace teaches us, it reminds us that everything that we seek on our own, everything that we seek when we're fighting with others, being right, proven right, coming out on top, God's already declared that over us. He's called us His sons, His daughters. I don't have to to fight with others. Why? Because I have the promises of God in the gospel. Eternal life, intimacy with Christ. I'm satisfied in that. I I don't need the world's approval. I don't need the world's things. I don't even need my own righteousness. Why? Because I have Jesus Christ's. By grace, through faith. And that same grace teaches me to deny self. It teaches me to give what I have in order to promote the gospel, rather to keep it for my own. It it teaches me that I have been redeemed from all the lawless deeds that wage war within me, and that fuels, instead, that fuels godly deeds when we focus on the gospel. That's what Paul is talking about. Take every thought captive. Look to the gospel. Is this representative of the gospel? It's what Paul said in Galatians 2.20 when he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live, I do not live in the flesh, but rather faith in Jesus who, listen to this, loved me and gave himself up for me. That's exactly what he's called us to do for others. That's our motivation. It's the gospel. It's Philippians 3.7 where Paul says, I, ca- I count everything as loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ. He says in verse 10, In this we have been called not only to believe in Jesus and His resurrection, but also to what? Suffer. And Paul says there's a fellowship born in that that will never be born in comfort. Everything that we're called to do as believers is exactly what we have received through Jesus Christ in the gospel. That's why Paul says in Romans 12 that let our love be without hypocrisy, to bore what is evil, to cling to what is good, to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, blessing those who persecute rather than cursing, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, lacking haughtiness, seeking peace. Why? Because that's what I have in the gospel. That's what I have through God's grace. And if you're here today and you're not sure that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not sure that you're believing in Jesus Christ alone, not Jesus Christ in the midst of many other gods, Jesus Christ alone, the invitation is for you when we're done is to come see me and we can get that straight. Let's spend some time talking about the gospel and how Christ's blood alone forgives you of your sins and declares you righteousness. But for those of us who already have done that, 
Will, will we seek the gospel at all costs? Will we seek, just like Titus says, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds? Will we pursue the gospel and the glorification of the gospel at all costs? Even at our own cost? Will, will we fight this war that wages and fight it together rather than indulging it? Will, will we fix our eyes on the God of the gospel alone? single greatest enemy in your life, in my life, in your home, in my home, in this church, is disunity. Disunity. Getting all of us to seek our own agendas, live for our own pleasures, to put us on the throne. You have on your handout, and I wasn't sure about the timing of everything, you have on your handout, on the back of your handout, if you flip it over, just some, some questions for you to ask yourselves. Just, I, I don't, what I don't want and what I want, I, I'm trying to be disciplined. I, I, what, what I don't want is for us to just hear a sermon and then walk out. I want you to spend some time, whether it's in your classes, whether it's at home, and, and spend some time contemplating the truths of Scripture that you've heard today. Allow the Holy Spirit to, to dig down deep in your heart and your life and reveal truly who you might or might not be. Ask yourself, what pleasures dominate my life right now? And, and think about that. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal, what are the things that generally, that regularly cause conflicts in my life? Do they revolve around me, or do they revolve around the gospel? A ask the Holy Spirit to, 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 to reveal ways that you're feeding your flesh and not the Spirit. Ask Him to reveal ways that you refuse to die to self and serve others. Are there things that you just don't do? Just spend time. I'd hope to do this together, but it's 1040 and I want to let you all have a time of fellowship and, and get to your classes. But spend time contemplating these truths you've heard today. Ask God to do a spiritual inventory of sorts in your own life and maybe reveal areas that we might not be who we think we are. We, we might not be as good as we think we are. There might be areas in all of our lives that God still needs to do surgery and, and He needs to be on the throne of our lives rather than ourselves.